All right, guys, if you uh, need Bibles or anything, uh, you can just uh, let me know. Uh, maybe I can have, if you raise your hand, I'll have Matthew, you can uh, grab a few Bibles. We are, we are going through the book of Proverbs uh, in our local body. Uh, we have a, we've been doing it for a while, and I think we'll be going into uh, mid-September. Uh, then we'll have a cool break, uh, and then we'll go into uh, Ecclesiology. Uh, will be one of our series that will take us through to Advent. Then we'll have a time of Advent where we party um, because of Christ's coming, reminding ourselves of that reality. I uh, just want to give you that heads up. Uh, if you are new to Metcalf, he has Bibles if you want to raise your hand. Here's one for but also in our body, what we do is we, you can ask questions as I share. Hopefully, uh, this is a very, this is more a difficult deal because uh, the topic today is justice and judgment. We're doing Proverbs, and we're doing Proverbs from the, from the realm of topics. Uh, I say this every week. It's because there's anyone in here who comes and you don't, and you don't get this. I don't want you leaving going, oh, huh, interesting. It's a few topics. That's not what we do. We uh, go through books of the Bible um, because we um, are a church that believes in the importance of, of um, exposition and and really not staying in comfortable places, but really trying to say, what is the whole counsel of God's work? And it's kind of going through it. Um, Proverbs is a different kind of animal than a lot of books, a lot of the historical books, a lot of the, the epistles, and a lot of the, in the gospels, uh, because you're dealing with uh, poetry, uh, you're dealing with um, wise and pithy sayings, you're dealing with a different kind of genre altogether. And in this genre in particular, the best way we, we realized to go through it and to be faithful was to um, have our people go do the hard work of looking at the book, praying through the book, uh, and then taking all the different topics and making it a topical study. Um, if not, you would jump out of a window trying to read Proverbs like a historical book. You can't do that, okay, um, because that's not the meaning of Proverbs. Uh, just to say real quick, Proverbs means wise and skillful living, right? So basically, it's God saying, hey, how do my kids live in a wise way? Basically, by having the knowledge and, and fear of the Lord, um, and the way he wants us to do that, um, he, he, the, the author, which is Solomon, who wrote the book in like 970 B.C. or so, uh, and there's a couple, a couple other guys who wrote a few, few passages in, in Proverbs. Uh, they really wanted people to understand God's truth, and so they wrote in real short pericopes uh, so that you can memorize them. Uh, and that's why there's a lot of short sayings, and that's why the topics jump all over the place, uh, because that's just, the heart is that you will get that wise saying and you will know it. And, that's, and, and a lot of these Proverbs, I like to say every week too, um, just to make sure that we're not claiming Proverbs as promises, they're truisms, which means that um, uh, truism is a wise saying that usually happens, but not all the time. All right? And so you can't, you can't claim it as a promise, but you can claim it as like, if this happens, this is what usually happens. Uh, that's... That's what uh, the intent is um, in, in the Proverbs. So, so we're in this book. Uh, we're doing a systematic study um, through topics, all right? And uh, we've done, uh, we did a sort of a, in the beginning of the book, we did this huge sort of like 30,000 30, feet look down on Proverbs from the perspective of Genesis just to get the lay of the land so we know where all this stuff is landing. So I want to encourage you that you will go back and you will look at that on our sermon series if you want uh, to even understand like how, we, how we're doing the way we're doing it now. Uh, we've talked about the mouth. We've talked about being a fool, being wise, um, women, men, you name it. And so now um, we're in the topic of, of justice and judgment, all right? Um, so I say that because, you know, you start talking justice and judgment, and people go, well, what about mercy? And I'm like, well, that's not the topic. So, <laughs> so please don't do that. Um, just stay, or you can go online and see when the topic of mercy is coming and come, and that'll, that'll bless you. I actually think we already did mercy, so you're too late. You've got to just go listen to um, the sermon. So justice and judgment, very serious topic, um, especially in our community, uh, being uh, in our neighborhood, uh, we, I think, uh, we, I'm going to, the, the lay of the land is this. Here's what I'm, I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to do this, because it's very difficult, uh, very difficult topic with a lot of information. So it's going to be kind of academic. I want you to stick with me and hold in there, okay, and follow me, uh, because we've got to make a lot of, we've got to bring a lot of clarity uh, to the subject matter. Uh, so, and then hopefully we can bring it, we can land it with a practical demonstration. So we're going to talk about uh, judgment and justice in general, kind of define these terms, right? Uh, then we're going to look at excuse me, justice and judgment, uh, particularly us being, being post-cross uh, and living in between redemption and new creation uh, means something, justice and judgment means something different than it did uh, before the fall, 
So we've got to process that a little bit, all right? Um, then we're going to talk about just specifically judgment in the gospel. We're going to look at some verses and, and hopefully be able to affirm uh, what God says about judgment uh, and we're dealing with the gospel. Uh, then we're going to look into justice uh, and try to, try to separate them at some level just to get more of an understanding. Uh, it'll be hard to do that. So, uh, you know, be gracious to me there. Uh, I'm just going to try and give the college a try. And then I want to really have it, we're going to look at some more Proverbs uh, during that time. And then what I want to do is I want to um, have us look at uh, justice in our community. Uh, and, and the way we're going to do that is um, we're going to look at justice and justification uh, because I think it matters. And, and this, um, I, I just, I've been influenced by, by Tim Keller because he talks about this in a book I believe it's called like Generous Justice. I don't know if you guys have read that. It's a really good book. Um, and, and talking about, I think, some dangers that we could have that I've seen actually happen in our community. So I want to talk about those and hopefully um, shine a light on those and hopefully we'll come uh, convinced on some things about judgment and justice. All right? So that's, that's, that's sort of the play-by-play. Um, y'all ready to jump into all that? All right. Look at you. Like, yeah. All right. All right. So here are some questions that we're going to probably answer, hopefully, as you, as you think about judgment and justice. Here's a question I want you to really be considering. First, uh, these, these issues bring up the point, do you really fear God? All right. When you're dealing with the issue of justice and judgment, the question you really need to ask yourself, and, not, and don't take it lightly, really ask yourself the question, do you really fear God? Right? And what does that look like practically? Do you submit to God, right, practically, or do you think, no, I, I do my own thing, you know? Um, what I think weighs heavily, not what God thinks. Right? It, 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 yeah, he says something, it's, it's kind of important, but it really matters what I think. You know, when you think of hell, you know, do you think, it, do you even you talk to people who think like almost God owes them? Right? That's a question you want to ask yourself. The second question that Justin in judgment brings up is, is do you really care for people? Right? Right? Are you, are you, are you serving? Um, who could you be serving and you're not serving? Right? Do you really care for people? And then finally, uh, it brings up the question that's a cousin to that one, and it's, it's do you protect people? Is that your natural posture, or I would say supernatural in the Holy Spirit? Is your, is your posture to protect people or to exploit them? Right? In your natural day, in your day, when you talk about these things, it's so hard because when you think of exploitation, you think of someone going, ha, ah, you're like, this is evil and just like, I'm going to get you. Right? And we can think like that. And I always say that because you, you, we have to train ourselves as we do theology to not have these huge, you know, d- disparities. You don't have to be this absolute jerk who's just out to blow up buildings and, and just connive people to be an exploiter. You can be really kind and read your Bible and have a posture, Joe, where everything you do in life is really about what you get out of it. That's an exploiter. Because you're going to always want to know, well, where's my angle? Where's my upside? And if it's always about your upside, then the question you're going to ask yourself, at what extent will you go to make sure you get an upside? So these are the questions that justice and judgment bring just from the start. So now, what is justice and judgment? Um, okay, justice is conformity to truth, fact or fairness, right? So like doing the right thing, uh, which is kind of is what righteousness is, right? Uh, now, the hard thing is justice and righteousness are so intertwined in Scripture that a lot of times the biblical uh, translators actually translate those words kind of similar sometimes. Obviously, we don't see that, um, but in, your, in the Old Testament Hebrew, they actually translate the same word sometimes, justice, and sometimes righteousness, right? Um, to understand God's justice, true justice, you have to take into account righteousness, which is right, doing what is right, um, because if, if, if you're saying you have justice, but you're not righteous, then, then justice is hollow. Because justice is, like, right, doing the right thing. So that means you have to be right to be just. Okay? And again, I said it's going to be kind of academic because I, I'm trying to make a point here. If we can leave here all convicted, not just knowing, but convicted on judgment and justice, and we can agree with what God says, I think it will be huge for our local body. 
Now, uh, an awesome uh, author that I love, Brueggemann, uh, he says he defines biblical justice this way. Biblical justice concerns distribution in order to make sure that all members of the community have access to resources and goods for the sake of a viable life of dignity. Okay, let that marinate. Look at that. As you're looking at that, I'm going to say it a different way, right? Biblical justice defines a creation relationship. It's like, it's like you have you, you have God, you have community. And biblical justice is making sure that, that everybody's following the Lord and in doing, something, in doing so, you become a productive community. Let me say it another way. Biblical justice is taking care of each other. Biblical justice is taking care of each other. All right? Let's unpack that. And let's talk about let's talk about um, judgment for a moment. Judgment in the gospel. Okay, so that's justice. Let's talk about judgment. Okay, so judgment. So that's justice. Judgment is a formal decision given by uh, given by a court, right? An obligation. Uh, it's a decree of the court, right? It's a judgment. Um, and so God's justice is a motivating factor behind his judgment. Now, why is that? Because basically God is saying that there's a right way to do things. It's his way. And what, and what judgment is, is saying that it's, a, it's, it's basically the motivating factor that because he's just, he has to provide judgment. Okay, judgment is almost like justice is who he is. And in, in judgment, what I love is like, it's one of those things where God says, it's, not, it's, it's business, not personal, as it were. But it is personal because justice is who he is, right? It, it has to happen because of who he is, right? It's a, the term of unguilty or guilty. So it's, a, it's, it's character language, law and character language, right? It's immovable. Now, to just give us more of a framework, even when you think of biblical judgment, I usually think of the, the, the last, the, you know, the... Uh, the, the final coming of Jesus. And I want to say biblical judgment is that moment basically of God asserting I, that basically, um, uh, actually, I'm sorry, uh, belief in final judgment is a hope that what is now ambiguous, okay, so like the world's kind of messed up and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, what is not as ambiguous that, that in itself it will be resolved, right? God will make things new, right? An advance of good over evil will happen. Uh, this is, right, that, that, that good decisively finally wins out. That's basically um, the crux of, of biblical judgment from the perspective of God. Or I say another way, it's, it's the moment where God says, look, uh, I'm God and this is my way, right? And that God will triumph over evil, right? Injuries will be healed. Uh, God will, restoration will be the theme, In a nutshell, as you guys, as those keep popping up, read those, just hear this. Biblical judgment basically for a believer, for the whole world, but for a believer who gets this, who gets the revelation, God has revealed this to him. Biblical judgment is a belief in a righteous God. That's all it is. Right? Is that you believe, right, you, you believe that, uh, that uh, there's a righteous God who's not going to let things slide. You see this in Proverbs uh, 19, chapter 19, verse 29. The scriptures say, condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the back of fools. Um, right? The sense of judgment is going to happen uh, two ways. I, I, think these are, I think these are practical and eschatological, which means practical. If you're a jerk, you, you're going to get yours. But, you know, there's, but we all know there's plenty of jerky people who are scoffers. They're fools. They don't... They don't fear God, and they go through their whole life, and you're like, man, they never take a beat down, right? Well, God says they will because, because righteousness will prevail, right? Either they're going to realize their sin and they're going to give it over to Christ or they're going to pay for it themselves, but it will be paid for. Uh, verse 7 of chapter, t- oh, yeah, Sandra. Uh, it's something that will happen. Is that biblical judgment? Is that is that we have the, we're convinced uh, that that nothing will go unpunished. So it can happen 
both now and the future, or it can happen now, but we know that there will not be any time in time where God will go, man, he, he, he got away with it. So biblical judgment is that judgment will happen, that God will make all things right. That's a really good question. Thanks for clearing that up because I know it was, and please do that because this is a lot of stuff, but I need us, I want us to get clarity on these terms so that when we hit some of the, you know, the groundwork, we'll all be on the same page. Verse 7 of chapter 21 says in Proverbs, the violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. So that's sort of a practical way, right? The violence of the wicked basically sweeps them away. I, I actually think these terms, again, eschatological meaning the last times that, that you know what, that, that the violence of the wicked will sweep them away, hopefully through people uh, revolting, but also through the second coming of a righteous king. All right. So those are just the definitions. Now, let's keep working. We're going to work our way down. We're working our way down. Okay, so God is just, and by definition, he judges. So what's interesting in our world, though, uh, is that we're in a culture uh, where we're asking a question, who determines what is right? Okay, you hear me? So God is just, okay? We've determined that. And he defined, like, he's the definition of what, what judgment is. And then we're in a culture that says, actually, no, 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 no. Who determines what's right? We're asking a question as if those things aren't true. You follow me? See, the question um, shouldn't be asked. But here's why it's asked. Because when we're created, we're creating God's image. We have the audacity to think we're our own God. We sin, and all of a sudden, we, right, God separates us from himself. And then what we begin to do is we begin to say, okay, we need now a new standard of justice. And we need a new standard of judgment. And who becomes the standard? We do, right? But I want to propose to you that those are lies, right? Is we start having conversations which ask, you know, who decides what is right in society? And that's crazy, we think justice starts with us, um, which obviously is not true. Uh, the biblical reality is that the answer is God, that judgment and justice starts with God. See, God will always, and this is very important because we're going to make some conclusions here that I'm going to challenge you with, and I want us all to affirm this. You go, I affirm that, I affirm that. Okay, well, we're going to get to some conclusions to see if you still affirm it. All right? So God will always be the ultimate determinant of what is right. We agree? All right? And, and that is why only he, if that's true, then only God can actually really establish justice in the world. Because he's the only right one. So that means things are right and they're not right only if God says so. All right? So we say, oh, so God's the one who determines justice. They're only right or wrong if God says so. So then what he does is he, he sees all these people who now have made their own definition, and instead of destroying us all, he says, let me just do something. Let me reclarify. I'll send my son Jesus. So that's a reality, but then he sends his son Jesus to be that sort of walking clarifier. Right? And so what Jesus does, he clarifies the truth about all things, right? He clarifies the truth about ourselves the truth about the way of salvation, the truth about what's good, what's beautiful. You see what he does? Jesus comes and he reestablishes that, hey, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. This is what Jesus does. The truth about evil, the truth about ugliness, the truth about how we ought to live, all right thinking, all right feeling, all right doing is defined and measured by Jesus. Right? you consider that reality, it puts us in a world where we're still not getting it, though. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, a very uh, awesome verse in my mind is uh, John 3.18. I think it's just a, it just tells of how we look at things. It says, <coughs> whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Um, I, I, uh, I love this verse here because it just speaks to how we can, we can even view uh, righteousness and where we are. We can kind of view it like this verse is basically saying, okay, people are here, and it says, uh, whoever believes in him is not condemned. So if you, believe, if you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. 
And if you don't believe in Jesus, you are condemned. We can think like that, right? That's not biblical. No, the biblical picture, and that's why he says it here. He says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. You see that? Don't miss that term. The reason why he says already is because you don't start off here neutral. You start off condemned already, okay? And people who know the son are now not condemned. And if you don't know the son, oh, you was already condemned before you thought about making a decision. You see the difference? You're not neutral. You're already condemned. So you stand condemned, and if you don't respond to Jesus, oh, you was already condemned before I asked you about coming to Jesus. Just a slight understanding from even the scriptures of how we can even look at salvation, even as believers. Just a snapshot. But what Jesus comes to do is he gives us, he emphasizes restoring wholeness to the world. And so we see this in Proverbs, okay? We see this sense of God saying, no, I'm the determiner of what's right. I determine what's just. And we look at Proverbs, um, considering that, here's what Proverbs says. What I want you to, here's my goal here, for you to go, man, so justice and righteousness and judgment is very important to God. Verse 23 of chapter 17 says, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the way of justice. This is how he views uh, basically, basically uh, people not ascribing to justice. Verse 26, to impose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. So now, hopefully, with the framework of what we're talking about when we talk about God being righteous, here's how he views people. Considering that, here's what, how he's viewing people who are doing these things. It's not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. So now, hopefully, you see, okay, so this is why he's like, okay, I, should, I shouldn't be impartial to wicked people. I need to make sure that I am always about being on God's side. Justice. Verse 13 of chapter 18, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This is even talking about someone, uh, have you met this person where, you know, you don't get all the information, uh, they give, you get one side of the story and you automatically make a judgment for that person, right? He's saying that's not how the people of God should be. We need to be sober in our judgment. We actually want to hear the whole story. We want to know that everybody's sinful and messed up. So there's always your side, his side, and the Lord's side. So let's hear all the story and understand what happened, right? So this is how... With the framework of who God is, this is why these things matter to Jesus. Look at chapter uh, 18, verse 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Uh, just like I said before. Uh, chapter 19, verse 28. A worthless witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. So this is how people who, who view justice, who uh, do not ascribe to what God says when he says he's the standard of justice. Verse 23 of chapter 13. Uh, the fallow ground of the poor uh, would yield much fruit, but it is swept away through injustice. We talked about that when we talked about the poor, remember? We were talking about how uh, the poor should not be without. The reason why they're without is because of sin and us being unjust, right? We see that basically people can't eat because we are unjust and we don't provide. Uh, verse 23. Uh, These also are sayings of the wise. Partiality and judging is not good. Um, what I'm doing right now is just giving you a bunch of proverbs that speak into this issue of, of how do we judge, how do we have justice, how do we administer. And what you're seeing, you're seeing some themes about um, being, being impartial, uh, making sure that you're not a respect of persons, not you know, being on the Lord's side no matter what the cost is. Why? Because we just determined that God is right. He's righteous. And it matters to him, right living. It matters to him holiness. It matters to him justice and judgment. It says in verse 21, to show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, a man would do wrong. All right, so what I want to talk about now, guys, uh, we've looked at justice and judgment. We, I want to look at ju- basically justice from the perspective of Jesus and why it's important for Jesus now uh, to come. Uh, God is holy. All right, we all agreed on that. We all agree he cannot tolerate sin. We agree that God is just. We agree he has to deal with our sin. All right? This is, what, this is who the Lord is. Uh, God can't overlook sin, right? Otherwise, he would deny his own justice. Okay? We're going, wow, these are, these are remedial. These are kind of elementary. Well, I want to see how do, they, how do they affect us practically. Okay, we believe these things. Okay? 
God desires for all people to be treated with equality and dignity and just and right and, and purpose. Right? And what this says is that God is just and he's good. We're unjust. Okay, so that means just like any other judge, right? If you were to uh, go into a courtroom and you saw a guy who, who, who killed three, you know, three kids and you saw the judge just let him off, you would think that guy, you would think that judge was unjust. Right, in the same way, for, for God to let sin pass at any level, uh, he will be determined, uh, he will not be just. It will be a travesty, right? Well, God is good and he's not unjust. And so the whole point of the whole point of the cross, and don't miss this because this is going to affect how we practically do life. The whole point of the cross is for, is for God to demonstrate to you his absolute commitment to his justice, to him being just, and to him judging sin. Is that, that he wanted to show he's so committed to it, so when we feel like, well, no, we can let that slide, we can let this slide, he's so committed, he says, guess what I did? I killed my son. That's how committed I am to being just. That's how committed I am to showing you that I am a good God who judges. The reason why justice matters so practically because justice is God's champion of his holiness, guys. Right? At the end of the day, God is saying, I'm holy. And, and what justice does, because he's, because he's just, is that the reason why he says, I'm going to do right living, I'm going to I'm going to judge you here and I'm going to model my justice here is because that's how he protects his holiness. God confirms his commitment to his rule of holiness and the protection of his new creation from sin's corruptions through displaying justice to the world. All right? So he wounds his own son for our sake Right, make, showing that he's going to pay for our sins. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment when we talk about justification. And a point here is that I'm just trying to, I'm trying to nail it in the coffin. Judgment and justice matters to God. You're going, I know, Eric. I want to convince justice and judgment matters to God. It doesn't mean that because it's my disposition is more about justice than I'm erring on one some way. No, justice and judgment matters to God. Look at what God says in Proverbs. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. That's verse 1 of chapter 11. Verse 7, it says, The righteous who walk in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Verse 3 of chapter 21, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. You can do all this stuff, but if you're not being a man or a woman who's modeling justice and righteousness, if you're not doing that, he's like, I don't care about all these things you do. That's just what the scriptures are saying. Verse 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Why? Because evildoers know they can't just keep breaking the law when justice is done. They know there'll be payment. That's why. Verse 14 of chapter 29, if a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. Don't miss that one. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Just modeling to a couple of verses of, of, of just and righteousness. All right. Okay, so you go, man, I get it. Then I've done my job. If you feel like, man, we've said the same thing over and over again. Made, made a connection. Okay, we have justice, right? God, God does things right. We have judgment, okay, that he, 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 he gives a decision based on justice, and that, that, and that his decision is motivated because he's holy. And so his justice protects his holiness. And God is holy and that's extremely serious to the Lord. So now the question is, justice and the gospel and the marginalized brings us home to where we are. Okay? This is very important in our context, guys. Here's why. Because here's what we do. We believe in justification. Justification is saying that you and I have been made right by faith, not by works, okay? We're, we're a Reformed church. We're Reformed in our doctrine. It's what we believe. It's very biblical that we're made right by faith, not by works, right? Now, that's different than just being forgiven, okay? The reason why that's different than being forgiven, because forgiveness just says you are no longer liable for punishment. We talk about this all the time in the church because I try to help us understand this. You, it's not that you're just not liable for punishment, right? 
It's about God giving you a new status. Okay? It's about making you free. You can, you can be not liable for punishment and still not be righteous. You're just not unrighteous. You got that? But now the question is, so if I don't, okay, you didn't, you didn't steal the cookie, okay. All right. But are you holy? What God does, he doesn't just say, I'm not going to punish you, which is what Jesus died on the cross and what it says in the scriptures, that he was our substitute. He took on our sin, right? Okay. He forgave us. He took on our sin. Right? That says you're no longer judged of your sin. But the, but the gospel doesn't stop there. The gospel says, and then he gave you his righteousness. Now, what, what does that mean? Think about that. Think about that. When he took your sin and my sin, he, basically the father judged the son, and he's saying that basically everything that you did, he put it on Jesus. It was almost as if Jesus did it, right? He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, the scriptures say. So what does that mean about the righteousness? Does that really mean that everything Jesus did is almost as if I did it? You got that? He gives you his righteousness. He makes you a new person. You don't earn it. Tim Keller says it this way. In Genesis Justice, says, um, just that you, uh, you may go, uh, basically, uh, you have, been, you have been let off is sort of the, the, the posture of, of forgiveness. Justification is you may come, right? Like, so forgiveness is like you've been let off the hook, go. But justification is saying you can now come and be part of my family, all right? So now here's the thing. We believe that as, uh, as reformers, and we love justification, okay? Um, that is not, nothing you've done is totally in Christ, um, Here's our struggle. Here's the danger. The danger of us as reformers, especially in our community, as we neighbor, uh, of being high justification. Here's what happens. Here's what I've seen in my last six years here. You get people who are very serious about justification, and they work, with the, they work in a, uh, an impoverished area, or we're, in, we're neighboring in a community, right, that, that has some, sin of bl- some sense of blight. When you get people who like social justice, who want to serve, they become high justification, okay, and they become high people justice. So you want to see people be treated fairly. You want to care for them. We want to build houses. We want to see education happen in the community. But they become low God's justice, which means a lot of times people come into communities like this, and we're very serious about seeing God do a redemptive work here, but we are very low on dealing with sin and pursuing holiness in the people that we're trying to serve. Am I making sense? What happens is people go, well, you can't bring that up. You can't say this. You can't do that. You might lose them. And all of a sudden, because of our passion, our fervor of seeing redemptive change in the community, we begin to change the gospel. That makes sense? And you've seen it. Some of us in here are guilty of it, and that's okay. But we need to have right thinking. Because remember what we just said? Didn't we all just come to terms that God is just, that he judges? We act like God. We're image bearers, and we remind God of himself, that he's serious about sin. Didn't we just affirm all that? Well, I want to propose to you when you're in a community like this and you're in your mad groups and you're caring for each other and there's sin, we are to be gracious, we are to be kind, but we are to be serious about holiness because your king is. He's serious about holiness. We don't have to help God there, guys. We will be misunderstood every day because this is, this is the the cataclysmic difference in a lot of evangelical churches in the world. So you look crazy. And some of you are buying it. You're going, you're, you're hearing people and your mom and your daddy telling you, you were legalistic and we're this and that. I'm trying to convince you right now, this is biblical. It's absolutely the Lord who's saying that there is a time to say, no, 
we need to be holy. We need to pursue right living. God is just, we'll be just. You go, well, what about mercy? What about these things? We're not talking about that today. I want you to stew in this. I want you to squirm in this. Squirm in the fact that the scriptures are clear. That you better have a real good reason when people are looking you dead in the face and they're in sin and you're not saying jack. Now, I know my visitors are going to be like, man, this, wow, he, where's the grace? Well, as I'm getting older, I just need to trust. One thing the Lord is teaching me this year, trust, I'm going to trust the testimony of my ministry. I know what the Lord has done through me and in me. And if you know me, there's a balance. But right now, we're in Proverbs, and we're talking judgment and justice, and I will be unfaithful to appease you and try to balance it out. Now, here is where we have to deal with some wrestling here, okay? That's clearly what the scriptures are saying. But here's the thing. One second. Here's the thing, though. Here's where it gets crazy. I want to challenge us, and this is not more of our people. I guess I can, yeah, I can do that, too. But this is where I would say redemptively how you can challenge people you know, because I feel like a lot of our people get this part. But I think it's so powerful. We, get, we can't miss this. So what happens um, when you talk about justification and justice I just talked about the different tiers. Uh, what happens in a lot, of, a lot of places, though, is you have uh, what Tim Keller calls in the scriptures um, the quartet of the vulnerable, okay? So when you talk about justification um, or justice, he would say, uh, and I think this is totally from the Lord, when you see um, prophets like Isaiah, uh, many of the major prophets, they would basically say, um, if you're not taking care of the immigrant, widow, orphan, and poor, right, if, 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 if that's, he would say he would call that the quartet of the vulnerable, basically those in the margins. And, he would, and, he, and through our scriptures, you hear basically all the time, immigrant, widow, orphan, and poor. If we're not concerned about these people, here's what the Lord says. We try to say, it's just saying, I'm not living right in that area, right? I want to propose to you, the Bible says, it's not that you're being disobedient. The Bible says if you can look at the quartet of the vulnerable and look at the marginalized and just say, I'm going to do my own thing, that God says there's something wrong with your heart. God doesn't make it a disobedience issue necessarily. He makes it an issue that, man, there might be a relationship issue. Um, I can go on for days with that one, but I'll just give you a couple of verses. Verse 10 of chapter 20, it says, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You know, there's a text I didn't even put in here. He says, you know, basically, um, a person who dogs the poor has contempt for his maker. Contempt is hatred. He says, if you don't care for those who are in the margins, you hate God. This is what scriptures say. Verse 28, do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. Verse 20, uh, 23, verse 10 says, uh, do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fathers. What he's talking about there is that basically margin, people in the margins don't have the power uh, to know uh, where their boundaries are in their different lands. And so people who have resources can kind of like bully them and kind of like get more of their stuff. He's like, don't play people like that. Don't exploit them just because they don't know. Oh, no, don't do that. I made those people. The cool thing about this, guys, and this, now, this is for all of us, because we can be serving and we can have such a, an arrogance, right? Even as we serve like, in, our, in our community and as we neighbor. Um, and, and the reason why it's hilarious and it's, it's so stupid, and I'm, I'm the main one guilty of this, and, and notice, what, what's one of the main reasons that God gets mad at the Israelites um, when, when, when dealing with uh, the poor? How about I, get, I make it easy? When dealing with the slaves, other slaves, or, or uh, aliens. That's what he says all the time. God says, I can't believe you are going to play and, and treat these people like this. Don't you remember you were a slave in Egypt? You were a slave too. 
How can you go around now because God delivered you and you got a little money now. Now you acting like we did this. I did this. I'm the baller. He's like, hold on. You were a slave. Treat people kindly. The reason why he put you in that position because so that when you now see someone else in that position, you just go, man, I'm looking in the mirror. Where's the arrogance when you're looking in the mirror? There is none. There's this humility. Matthew. That's a really good question. So, Matt, I mean, you, could, you obviously heard him because I heard him, so, right? Yeah, are you talking people within the camp or are you talking people outside the camp, the Christian community, coming to the community outside? Yeah, different realms and different people, right? God tells us, can't judge outsiders. They're supposed to sin, right? So we're not, we're not judging the world, but God tells us with right judgment, right, with humility, making sure we're looking at our own life and making sure the goal pointing to Christ, we are to look in the body and we're to keep holiness in the camp. Is that helpful? Now, but that looks, here's the thing. See, notice what I'm, what I'm doing here. I'm not giving you remedy. That looks drastically different one million times. That's why we have discussions and community and accountability. What scares me is we don't even land on the conviction that this is what God wants. I want us to have the conviction. Okay, God wants me to deal with holiness. He wants people to, to get right. He wants me to be courageous. Now, how does this work? We can have that discussion all day. We can have the how it work discussion all day. Please don't try to, to manipulate the theology. You jack us up. Okay, so he's frustrated with the Israelites. He's like, man, I was good to you. What are you doing? So now I notice this, and then we're going to go home, y'all. Y'all been really gracious. Have you ever noticed this convicted my heart? Man, I almost started crying. I was like, you look in the scriptures, and God talks about works, right? Uh, and James, you know, he says, you know, faith without works is dead. Have you noticed the works that God um, usually celebrates in the scriptures? Have you ever noticed that? Have you thought about that? Like, I realized, man, it's not Bible reading. It's not, it's not like a prayer life. He wants those things too because he says to the guys, hey, give your tithe and all that. Do, the, do those, those many things. But, but remember the weightier ma- measures. Remember that? So he's not dogging quiet times, you know, rose to your wife on Tuesday, all that stuff. That's gravy, right? But, but you know, he, what's interesting to me is in our day and age, we triumph. We, we love to see spiritual disciplines and those are kind of the factors, especially in the suburbs and, and I, you know, in, in, in evangelical America here is, is those disciplines that I'm doing. How are you doing your walk with the Lord? Oh, I'm reading more. I'm doing this. And we got our things. Do you know the scriptures usually only talk about how you treat people? That's his determining factor on if you're walking with Jesus. Have you noticed that? He, in James, right, he says, he says, hey, you know, you want to know, you want to have good religions? How are you treating the widows and orphans? You, you, you want to know you're right with the Lord? How are you treating people? That, that broke my heart and it just gave me joy and it was freeing. And it was convicting. He didn't care about your prayer necessarily and just doing that and dogging people, going to conferences and going to this, this Bible study and that Bible study and your attendance at church. But yet... You can't, can't, you're not treating people like God created them? It seems like the right place we need to be, guys, in this community is we have to have a high regard for the law of God. See, see Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. He fulfilled it. And so we still act like God. But then, at the very same time, we have to have a humility where we're not self-righteous. It seems that's the, that's the balance. It's not, it's not to let grace vanquish justice. We're not doing God any good to do that. That's what we try to do. There's grace. So now I just, we don't need to talk about justice anymore. Are you kidding me? It's like that's an attribute of our king. No, it seems like we, we exalt Jesus as a just Righteous, judgment-bringing God 
while at the same time having humility and understanding we're not anything better. And that when I talk to the guy out here who breaks my fence, I can just think of all the jerky things I did as a young kid. Worse than him. Worse than that. Worse than that towards people's property. And you know how silly it would have been where God convicted me like, you, you've done the same thing. And man, the beauty and the freedom that came when I saw him and I just looked in the mirror. I thought, man, I'm just like you, bro. So what do we do practically, guys? You know, it talks about um, being poor in spirit. And why, do you think it, why do you think the scriptures say that so much, guys? Being poor in spirit. Why do you think it talks about, well, like, you ever think about it? Like, okay, so if you're, if you're spiritual poor, what are you saying? You're saying, man, God, I don't know why you saved me. Are you kidding me? You're just, you're just kind of like, I can't believe this. And, you, and you, you get saved and you come to Christ and your posture is just like, you're just talking to people, but there's just a sense of like, you know you haven't earned this and you just want people to understand the love of your, of your king. Now, what happens if you're poor in spirit and you meet someone materially poor? You see what God's trying to do there? Isn't our God good? He wants you to be poor in spirit so that when you meet someone in any other arena of poorness, you're just looking in the mirror. How can someone be spiritually poor in heart and walk up with a pompous attitude towards somebody who's materially poor? You can't even, can't even happen because you realize you deserve hell. You deserve to be totally destroyed over and over again, and yet your gracious king saved you and made you a friend when you were an enemy. How does that person, when you really are in that spirit, go, get a job? Why? Why? You need to, you know, no, I can't give you any money. You know, no, I'm going I'm, I'm to help, you know, the really cool poor. I'm not going to wrestle with this. How do, you, how do we have that posture? You can't. Right, guys? Now, here's what we can do. Uh, trusting in the Lord's sovereignty, I want to propose. Here's our, here's our remedy. We trust in the Lord's sovereignty, and here's how we do this. In James uh, 8, and, I think it's 9 and 10. Can you put it up, please? Can you put it up? Uh-oh. Okay, James chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 8 and 9, uh, basically tells us, and I, wanna, I just want to say, this is our remedy. I want to say for the poor and the rich, uh, what he says, he says, hey, uh, those who are poor, I want you to, to basically dwell or exalt in your high position, and those who are rich, I want you to basically dwell or exalt in your low position. You guys familiar with that verse? All right, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. You know what he's saying there? I think this is a very interesting text. Here's what he's saying. He's saying poor people, because he's talking to these people who he's saying, I want you to know the goodness of Jesus. And obviously he's talking to those who have said yes to Christ because they're exalted status. So he's saying, you know what? Poor people a lot of times can navel gaze and we can be like, man, it's a struggle. This is, man, it's a doggy dog world. Man, this is crazy. Man, poor me. He's like, hold up. You're a child of the king. So you've been given coercion. You've been given eternal life, right? You've been given the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, right? You have a good God who's in control of everything. What are you sulking about? He says, you probably need to remember your high status. You need to focus more on, on how rich you are. And he says to the rich person, you know what we need to do, a lot of us? He says, you need to focus on your low position. I need to focus on my low position. He says, you know what? You weren't all that, Eric. You were dead, separated from the life of God. You didn't discover me. I revealed myself to you. You should be dead. I can destroy you right now. By, your, by the grace of God, are you alive and are you spiritually alive to tell someone that you're alive? You were nothing. You were evil. Your intent was to do evil all the time. And look what I did in you. See, some of us need to forget that we got degrees and that you got a rich mama and daddy, that you got a cool business, that you're real good with people, that you have a craft that you're really good at. Some of you guys, some of, maybe me too, we need to forget that, and we need to remember I was nothing. 
and God made me something. If James gives us a remedy, I think it's good for us. God is righteous. God is just. And his justice, who he is, protects his holiness. And because he's holy, he has to judge because of the fall. And his judgments are always right. And that holds comfort for those who know him. And for you who don't, I want to ask you, you ask Jesus to give you the grace to say yes to him so that your judgment can fall on Jesus and not on you. And for all of us in here that know Jesus, I pray we will be faithful to our king in his display of retelling the story of his justice and his judgment. Can you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would give us that grace. Lord, give us the grace to display our joy in the fact that you are just and that you judge and your your judgment is right. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus for putting our sin on him and giving us your righteousness. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. I pray for anyone in here right now who needs to experience that grace. Would you give them the grace to say yes to you? And Lord, would you give our body the strength to be courageous in a world that says, Jesus is kind of holy, but calm down. Would you give us the courage to have a robust, biblical understanding of your justice and how it protects your holiness, how you are the right judge, and allow us to stand firm in that, to live life in light of that, and to be willing, no matter what comes, no matter what friendships are suffering, no matter what happens, to be on your side. Would you give us that grace? as a body to dialogue and learn how to navigate those beautiful attributes of our Savior. Lord, we uh, pray right now um, for a tithing offering. We ask that you would um, bless us, these resources to our body, and you would use them for your glory. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.